I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, the first season is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. The first Black man I loved wasn't an accumulation of white America's long-held fears. No Black man could ever live up to that. He was a body, a human. He was not America's fabled, monstrous buck, nor was he an icon of meritocracy. He was my father. I was his son. He was a Black man whose belly sometimes protruded far beyond his waistline, who spoke in a poetic vernacular that allowed him to communicate in cold to the people he encountered on the streets of our Black hood in New Jersey. His words, holding different meanings to those inside and outside the community. His hands were sometimes scaly and calloused from too much physical labor, performed for little pay when he could land jobs, who split time between U.S. prisons and a rental home in Camden made him something of an absence to be derided and desired. He was not always the best at showing care, but when he did, his care was generous. He was not always aware of others' plights to render him invisible, and sometimes he did a good job of discarding himself. He held me in the same hands that were often used to hurt my mother. The beatings he meted out were common, like the time he twisted my mom's arm until she cried in my presence when I was a boy because she talked back. But he was the first Black man who loved me, and I loved him back. Had he been an imperfect white man, because all men are imperfect, the world may have loved him still. If he were an abusive white man who came from generational wealth, with wealth that means power, he would have been afforded visibility and acclaim. Had he been a white man who failed as much as he excelled, he would have been deemed worthy of love still. He might be alive at 55 and not dead, too young from heart complications. Any heart that beats over time to compensate for what it is denied is one sure to break too soon. I loved my father. I love my partner. I love myself. And this is what it is to love radically. Black men loving Black men is, as the deceased Black gay writer Joseph Bean opined in the 1980s, a revolutionary act. Because every moment a Black man is transgressive enough to love what he has been socialized to hate, he commits an act of insurgency. That is a revolution that I bring inside myself, and with all the people I call home. That radical love can be romantic, but it can also be the love of brothers, friends. When your emotions have been weaponized against you, 
When society has punished you for all the ways you dare show that you feel, caring for another Black man is a rebellion. It is an act of resistance, and it is a revolution that needs the fight of all Black men in order to be won. Let me just let you in on something for a minute. When we were booking this series, we invited several non-gay and queer-identifying Black men to come on the show. We wanted them for their words, for their art, for their passions, and also to help us build the bridges we need inside the Black male community. Many declined. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they didn't understand the importance of being here. But the ones who said yes, men like Luke James and Kiese Lehman, have our endless love for their bravery, for their artistry, for their words, and for their brotherhood. So here we are, me, Luke, and a little thing called love. I grew up in, in Camden, New Jersey. Shout out to home in the hood. And across from me um, is Philly. And, and in Philly, there was this a Black gay writer and activist who I didn't know, I never heard of, wasn't taught about, um, but who would become really pivotal for my life and for the lives of so many. His name was Joseph Bean. He died much, much too early um, of HIV. And he said these words that are repeated now everywhere in, in the same way that we repeat James Baldwin's words and, and Audre Lorde's words and Toni Morrison's words. Black men loving Black men um, is a revolutionary act. And that can be, you know, interpreted in a lot of different ways. But how would you respond to that? In the context of your recent meditations on love, what do you think about this notion of Black men loving Black men as a revolutionary act? And that means sons, brothers, lovers, whoever. Um, why is it, is it revolutionary? If so, why? It is revolutionary. Yeah, it is. There lies a lot of the issues that we we have with ourselves and our own community and in some ways, our inability to come together and truly uh, unite in times of true need. I mean, that's a reflection um, on how we, you know, were raised and whatnot. I think it definitely is revolutionary in all ways. When I think about that and I think about what I do and, and I think about the, the, I guess, this role that i just t- taken on and the response that I've been getting and whatnot, it's really opened me up to uh, really see that... Um, we have a lot of work to do in, in a sense of acceptance and just true love and being able to love ourselves because I find that a lot of the issues that when people have um, reservations towards another person's sexuality, identity, the issues are really with that person, I mean, with themselves, you know, um, something they haven't fixed. And I know that's a thing that everyone says and that, and it is, it's truly true, you know, it's... um. People don't do a lot of work on themselves, you know? And this world doesn't give you the space, especially as, as black people, black men, doesn't truly give us the space to really work on ourselves, to love ourselves completely, wholly, without feeling like a product, without feeling like a nuisance, without feeling like um, just a thing, you know? Um, Hell yeah. But you've mentioned something like there are so many societal views about um, a black man in America that impacts how we love, right? Like, so this idea that I was a, a queer person in the world, 
who was socialized to hate queerness. So it doesn't matter who, you know. And I carried that shit into my relationships. I I carried sexism into my relationships. I carried misogyny into my relationships. How has how has the ways society has like shaped us, you, I? How has that impacted the way you love and the way you think about love or the way you've rejected love or given it? What has it been personally for you? Well, I think I'm I'm coming to a point in life that where I'm I'm understanding love in its true form. I'm trying to I'm getting to a place I'm trying to truly understand. I'm not I'm not not to say that I'm, uh, I'm acting upon it, but I'm I'm trying to understand it in its true form when, you know, in that sense of like openness and what love really means. You know, as a as a kid, man, I everything growing up, everything was no homo. Everything was don't cry. Everything was yes, try. Go go out for it. Even if you're even if that scares you, even if that it doesn't matter, you know, go because you know, I was like I'm like, I wanna sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. But you know, that was on the outside of my household, to be fair. Um, you know, shouts out to my mom. Same. On the inside was, what do you want to do? You love music. Here's music. Here's my albums. This is your life, you know. Be who you want to be. This is your your thing. Um, and it was, you know, talk about your feelings, you know. Uh, I had therapy as a child. Shout out to your mom. A lot of therapy. Yeah. My mom's super tight. You know, and the things that she didn't understand, I had figures around me, good men around me who I could uh, confide in and speak to. And they never, they never condemned me, never made me feel any type of wrongness in my feelings, in my emotions, in my thoughts. That's a gift. There are men who lack that type of care and community and other men like that in their life. I have men in my life my stepfather, my cousins come to mind. The black straight men in my life have loved me so hard. My own local community, my family have loved me hard too. And maybe we have that in common. But on the outside of all of that, yeah, it was a lot of, you know, the stereotypical, you know, safe zones. And that I, I, I saw a lot of friends hurt. I saw a lot of friends not be free. I, I saw a lot of I have some friends who I, I don't even, I don't speak to them. I don't know where they are, you know, because I know what their life has been. And they've taken turns and that depression is deep and they've made decisions and stuff. And, and I think I'm just in, in a point of now, I just trying to reimagine my views and my ideas, the ideas that have been put upon me, forced upon me to believe and the way I look or looked at people felt about people, friends that I consider, I, I call them friends, but am I truly, truly a friend? Do I really see them? Do I love all of them? Or am I, or, or is it an idea or just the much that I can handle of them, of their lifestyle and whatnot? I have these thoughts too. Things that have been laid upon me, things that have served as cages for me, I mean, I'm a queer person in the world who was socialized to hate his queerness and it manifested in so many ways. I didn't want to hang around femme men, um, femme folk as a younger person. I didn't date femme dudes. 
And I had to unlearn all of that because I was pushing back against the magic that was present within myself. I had to accept that maybe I had refused friendships with people who could have been gifts. To portray as Black men, like you mentioned hypermasculinity, this idea of needing to be strong, like just the, the, the shadiness, the, the way that we reject fem energy, feminine people, whether they are women-identified people or men or non-binary people. It always trips me out because people, it's like people never understand, you know. Uh, you, you can't have masculine without feminine. When you just understand it's all like, it's just this, you're creating weight on you. This is like, or you have to work that weight off of you. I mean, again, I say I'm working on myself. That is something you have to avidly work on because you know it's wrong. You know you feel, you know the feeling you have. I had a conversation with a fella not long ago, and he was just, you know, venting to me about um, homosexuality and and the black sisters that who, you know, will be left out. You know, black queens who missing the black, black kings. Black kings, you know, and, and all of this frustration that he, he was just sharing with me was just... For me, it was his own frustration. It pained me to hear him carry this weight around. And I had to say, man, you, you are carrying a load on you for no reason. You're creating a problem. You're probably going to have kids and you're going to create that problem for them to have. Because it's your own issue. Yes, you share it with other people and they have that issue too. That's pain. You walk into the world and just be upset at everything you see. Other people's lives and whatnot. But you're upset at love. Patriarchy is a hell of a weight. A hell of a weight, and so many of us are carrying it. And we don't need to be, though. That weight is a sum of all the fucked up things we've been taught to think about who we are, who we imagine ourselves to be. Being hard, thinking we don't deserve love. Look, I mean, you preaching, because, I, you know, when you, I was going to ask you, how do you think this ex- shapes the ways we're vulnerable with each other as Black men? And I think all the time of all of the beautiful friendships that were missed because of folks' inability to, to, to cross that boundary and just to, to feel, you know, like, let me tell you this. I can name the, and this is because it's so pivotal in my mind, straight Black men who have befriended me, like Kiese Lehman is this amazing writer, you know, Michael Denzel Smith. These I can name these brothers who came into my life on purpose. And they never expected me to fold myself into something, to be anything other than what I was. We talk about relationships. We, we share space. We are, we write letters to one another. You know what I mean? Like, I love, like, we, we're in love with one another. And it has nothing to do with anything besides the fact that the universe brought us together as friends. I'm using love there in a very particular way. When we think about being in love with someone, it tends to be intimate, romantic, sexual, but there's also love with our friends. That love is also intimate. When you say you're in love with another Black man, it's so charged for other people, and it shouldn't be. The respect, the connection, the caring for each other, that's love. I think about how culture can shape perceptions. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. You know, I also think that it is also in the arts as well. It's in an, it's our responsibility. You know, I, I kind of made a post not long ago, and I, I couldn't help myself. I don't normally really go crazy on stuff like stuff like I keep my thoughts to myself or in the music, 
But, you know, I, I understand, like, I've seen some things, man, with some guys, man, the way just treating people in general, trans women, cis women, the, the ideology behind it all, you know, the things that have been just recently going on with people shooting someone and, like, just all of that. And, and then you look at the comments and people, the jokes, it's funny. I've seen posts where you see somebody say, uh, protect black women. And then you see someone say, black women need to start listening. All, all of these ideologies and all, whatnot, and this, a lot of it has to do with the culture and, and our arts and the music. The music that is most popular celebrates those ideologies. That's right. You know, it's no let's get married. There's no I'll protect you. There's no what's wrong. I'm there for you. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. I'm, I, I love you. I, it's hard for me to say I love you. You know what? I love you so much. Yeah. There's no like, I'm hurting because you're yes. not, you know, or I miss you. I miss you. Yes. Like, yes. I don't have the words to articulate, you know, yeah, no vulnerability. None of that. I've been signed before, so I know the conversations that go on. And those things are not, no one's really kind of like championing you to do those things. They kind of want you to fit into the mode, you know? And if, you, if you're a part of the machine, they're definitely going to want you to fit into the mode of what's popping and what's that, the bad boy mentality, but the bad boy that doesn't care for nothing but himself. Right. The uber fuck boy. Right. The, you know, um, <laughs> and like you live on, you live in that space. You know, an artist can find their way in that. And some artists, you know, are that, but then there's no outcome. There's no, like, they're talking about a journey, but then the journey still stays in the same place. You know, it's it doesn't progress. It's almost and then you put out all of this music and you listen to all of your music and that music is all saying the same thing. And there's no progression from that pain. It's just straight pain, nothing but pain. And you glorify it. You glorify it with more pain and you kind of push people into the space of, well, maybe that's who I need to be and that's how I need to act. And that's. That's my lifestyle, and yeah, that's my life. And then you're 25, and then cut to you're 35, and then you're 40, and then you're sitting here saying, dang, I never really let my guard down. I All of these things, but you've just walked that walk. Listen, you I, like I'm sitting here and I'm shaking because I'm like, you know, I, I would say to myself, I don't want to, I, I consider my, I've done some amazing things, but I would say like, I don't want to leave this earth haven't been able to write about love without experiencing it. So all of this shit, you know, the, all of the things I get to do in the world and things I get to experience, I don't want to leave here not having experienced vulnerability, not having broken myself open over and over and over again to be present and love somebody else, right? And like, who wants that? Look, we are two Black men talking about love and intimacy right now. I literally said that because I can't engage in a conversation like this without offering something of myself, my own vulnerability. Yeah. Who wants to live like that? Who wants to hold back tears? Like, we're just flowing. We're flowing with it. Well, I don't, and I won't keep you too long. I have like one more question, but I'm good. Talking about culture, um, what we what we have access to is also in terms of art and culture is also what can shape us. And you have this role in Chai. Mm-hmm. Big up. Thank you. Um, Thank you. How'd you grow? And look, and it's a very, like, you are in, 
I don't even want to give it give it away because I want you to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But I want you to talk about how you grew comfortable in the skin of that character and what aspects a person, aspects of that character, um, were important for you to portray and why. How did that role shape you? Tell, and tell us about the role. Tell us about the role. <laughs> so uh, I play a character named Trig, Victor Trig Taylor. He is the oldest brother of Jake and uh, Reggie. He comes into town. He's the estranged brother, actually. He comes back in, into town because some things have happened. Reg has been shot and is missing and whatnot. And my youngest brother has been adopted, taken by a man who I know very well, is a crook. I don't want that life for him. So I'm coming in to take Jake out of there, my little brother, out of Chicago and give him a life that I'd never had. I also have, uh, I'm in love with uh, a beautiful woman um, who happens to be a trans woman. My character has a struggle with that idea in the sense of how I view her and how the world may view her and how the world may view me by the way they, they view her. She is very open and loving and in dire need to connect with her community. She's lived in a space where she's passed, uh, I guess you can say, and she wants to connect with her community. She hasn't, and this is huge for her. But in her doing that makes me question my own self, ideology, sexuality. When I got the role, when I got the opportunity for the role, I questioned it. One, one for myself as an actor, can I be honest to the character? Can I be truthful? Can I be open and vulnerable to portray this man and his struggle and all, his, all of his, uh, his angles? I love this. I love anybody who can be honest and offer self-reflection. I would rather him not get up and act like he don't have shit to work through. The more we can name our shit and be honest about this stuff, the more it makes it possible for us to grow from it. So I had to answer that question, and 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 to be to be quite fair and honest and uh, open. Um, I, I was a bit hesitant in a sense because that would make me. I would have to answer questions about myself, you know, because when I learn about a character, I mean, a lot of times I learn a lot about myself and the negatives that I've had that I have or had in my head, I actually allow that to be within the character because that is his fight as well. Living in the world where the way he looks, the way he is. I had an old head once tell me, you know, the worst thing a black man could be is black and gay in his community. And I I just always held on to that within this character and and trying to understand the fight that he, he may be having with feeling like he has to decide, he has to be a certain way or he can't be one way and love this woman. And so I just lived in that space. I allowed my conflictions and whatnot, my personal convictions and whatnot, that I may feel that that may be very negative or whatnot. I let that live in, in the character and breathe that through the character and let the character breathe through me. So therefore I can give what that frustration is because he's still figuring himself out. Listen, I'm trying to figure myself out, too. I'm still breaking out of my own cages. I'm still working on growing my love, my ability to receive love and to give it. As a person who's experienced a lot of ghosting from men in my life, people like my father and other intimates, 
I become very guarded and I'm trying to find openness and vulnerability and lean into that and be a better lover, a better friend, a better son, a better brother. I want to be loved and I want to give it. It's been an eye-opening learning experience for me through and through and which I'm I'm grateful to have taken it on. Also, I wanted to become more of a vessel. I want to be of service in how I do my art and what I choose to do. And I saw an opportunity to enlighten a world that doesn't want to be enlightened, avidly doesn't want to be enlightened, claims to be open, claims to be free, claims to want freedom for all and, and freedom of expression, but doesn't love itself, you know? And so Lena wrote a character that I thought that I could portray. And, and then also me being me, I guess it works, you know, hand in hand, because it could have been any other actor, but she chose me. And in some ways it helps push the story and the to move people because they, they have their own ideas of Luke James. It does more than that, though. It, it does that and it does so much more. There is going to be a, a trans person, a trans girl, who one who sees that character and know that love is a possibility, that life and safety is a possibility. There's going to be a man, whether he identify as straight or gay or nothing, who's going to look at that character and say, hey, I can be attracted to whoever I want to be attracted to. And that is freedom, you know? And so it opens up the possibility. Like growing up, I went through K-12 schooling without reading any books that were examples of of, of my life uh, or gave me any indication that I can be a free Black man in a way that I am now. So a young person or not so young person, an older person is looking at that character and is going to be changed by it. Absolutely. And, you know, that is that is actually how we how we create change. And um, look, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being in the world doing what you do. Man, thank you. I'm I'm grateful. And your gifts, you know, and you are you are definitely saying it, you know, being a vessel and not just in ways that just are like for the screen, but like bringing this shit to light to like real life. Yeah. I was and am so inspired by his choice to play that role, considering the stakes. Look, he's playing a role of a Black cisgender man who is attracted to a trans woman in the exact moment when Black trans women are being killed by Black men. Sit with that. The courage that it took for him to take that role on in this moment is meaningful and powerful. And to do it in a TV series? There are Black men who are attracted to trans women who need to see that role portrayed and need to feel safe. If they have felt those feelings too, they need to have the language to name those emotions. I, I wanted to end by just saying, if there, are there, I'm hoping that Black men listening to this, and, and hopefully not just the, the choir, but the folk that aren't in a quote-unquote choir, the people who talk about Black love and Black lives matter, but only, only believe in that estimation that, that Black straight cis men matter. Nobody else, right? Right, right, right. What would you say to them in terms of the need to break down all the barriers that keeps us apart um, as Black men, regardless of how we identify? What, what words of sage words would you give to them? Man. Or sing, or sing to them. Because you know I was like... His voice sound like it's in good is in good voice today, cause I know you had that tea. I know you had that tea. I know a voice. I was like, but I won't do it. I won't do it. I'll go back to what I was saying. There is a weight 
that we are carrying around. And you may think you're not carrying a weight, but it is weight. It is heavy on your soul. And I think the moment you recognize that there is something you're holding on to and begin to deal with it, in a sense, to free yourself, then that's, you know, one day at a time. My brother always says, one day at a time, one day at a time. So that's all you need to do, man. I'm grateful that, grateful for anyone who who is not a part of the choir, who is listening, taking a second to listen, because that's the part. That's what, you know, just these are the steps. Listening to someone else's story and finding that empathy for them as a human being and as your brother, as your family, you know, I think those those are the steps that you, you must take. And I think it's imperative. And when you do that, the world will open to you in, in many, many, many ways. And it would be so beneficial to your life, your glow. Everything will begin to make sense once you figure that thing out. And a song, ha, I don't have a song. <laughs> you got a whole, a whole album called uh, To Feel Loved. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's a whole... <laughs> wow, um... <clears throat> let me think, let me think if I can remember. Man, it's early. Oh, yeah. Looks like sunlight and blue skies, ready to take off a ride. Uh, this feeling, this hotel room is my ride. These Versace sheets, mine's will be my clouds. Up here where I hear my thoughts out loud. Open spaces, don't it? Wow, now I miss life on the ground. Can't imagine not going nowhere. They don't want us to go. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, our golden brown skin is so rare. Mm. Oh, feel that wind blowing through our good hair. Take us there, traveling. Only wanna go where you can take me traveling. There's so much to see on the other side of a picture. I'm a drifter. I was wondering if you take me with ya. Traveling. Everywhere we go is a paradise. Yo. Thank you. All right, y'all, this conversation was great. And there was a care that was present. You're talking to a stranger about Black men and love, and it's not an easy undertaking. Something about the singing at the end that was such a vulnerable, intimate, caring moment. I love hearing Black men sing because it's one of the tools that allows people to share emotions. It allows us to be larger than what we are defined as. Breaking out of this cage holding onto the softness, the emotional flow, opening oneself up, singing in a way that I wish we could be in our everyday lives. That, see, that boy, that's the oil right there, y'all. That's the, that, that boy got the oil. So beautiful. I appreciate it. Thank so you so much. damn beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. for taking time um, to join the talk, to be brilliant. And your voice, man, Belongs to the Most High. All praise to the Most High. Thank you so much, man.
cis black men loving gay black men, loving straight black men, loving trans black men, loving queer black men in all the ways and in all the spaces that we exist. Spaces where we protect and love all of ourselves and where we put down the burden of making another less than and where we stop holding up hierarchies that do nothing more than continue to repress. I want us to no longer be afraid of each other, afraid of our capacity to give in to and receive love, afraid of being held by another man, afraid of ourselves, afraid to be. I just want us to experience something other than lovelessness. I want us to be free. Being Seen is produced by Harley and Company and Darnell Moore and created in partnership with Beef Healthcare. Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney.